Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Well, good morning. Welcome again. If you haven't already been welcomed once, we're so glad that you're here today. I'm just so thankful that you chose to get up to come to worship with us 10 o'clock today. I got to be totally honest with you. I did a little better that service. I got to, or this service, I got to continue to get better by the 1130. I'll probably have it figured out. But in the first service, during that bump video, kind of intro video as I come out, I'm standing back here. And in the first service, I have this revelation and this realization that I have no idea when I'm supposed to walk out. Like, no clue whatsoever, because when we're standing on this side, so if you're new, if you haven't been here very long, this wall hasn't always been here. We don't just leave unfinished sheetrock just for kicks and giggles because we want to have fun with it. Like, that's there because they've just built this wall over the last two weeks. So last Sunday was the first Sunday that the room was like this. We've lost about a third of the seating capacity that used to be over there. And so when we used to come in and out of that curtain right there instead of this curtain over here, we used to have projectors on side. Sidewalls. And so when I was in there, you could always kind of peer out and you could see this projector through the crack in the curtain. And we would always be able to see and know when to come out. And so the first service, I'm standing back here in that hallway and I'm sitting there and I'm saying, I have no idea how long this video is because I've never paid attention to it because I've always just kind of known like when it gets to that spot, like that's the moment that I walk out and I always know when to go. And so I walked out and there was like 50 seconds still left and it's only like a 55 second video. And so I just kind of stood here awkwardly like this is awesome. Did a little better. There was only 28 seconds this time when I walked out. So I'm getting there. I'm like counting in the back like one, two, three. Oh gosh, have I gone too fast? Have I got gone fast enough? And so hopefully, I'll probably have it figured out at 11.30. But if you're in the room, can we turn the house lights up just a little bit so I can see everybody? If you're in the room and the wall has messed up where you have always sat, raise your hand. There's a couple people, like, you're still just a little bitter about it. You're still a little ticked off. Everything's kind of confusing. If you usually sat over there and you've just jumped and you're like, I refuse to sit in the middle no matter what happens, and you've jumped all the way from over there to all the way over here, like, the world's backwards right now. Like, you don't know what's going on. It's confusing. You're seeing things from the wrong side. If you're over here, now you get to see my good side instead of over here. Just kidding. But we're so glad that you're just kind of with us through this construction. It's crazy. I promise the craziness you're seeing on Sunday, if you're like going to that back door and you're like, why can't I get into the auditorium that kept me out? Because we only have one door now. I promise the craziness you're seeing is only just kind of minor compared to the craziness that's kind of happening. We're in here like trying to work during the week and there's like jackhammers running and like tractors in the building downstairs running. So you get a little fumigated every now and then upstairs, but it's a lot of fun, and we're so thankful that you're just kind of with us in this journey as we create more space more space for people to come and experience the love of a loving God, and so thanks for just being a part of this journey with us. But today, I have the chance, I have the opportunity, the privilege to come to speak to you, to kind of conclude this series that we've been in. You know, the first week we talked about like God's love and God's love for us. Last week we talked really specifically about marriages and how to be the best spouse that we can be. And so we're concluding the series today. 
And so when, when we set up series, oftentimes we'll work even up to like 12 months out of kind of setting kind of the church calendar. Pastor Jeremy does an incredible job of just kind of praying through like where God's leading our church, where he's leading our community, and like really trying to connect applicable series and sermons and content that kind of encompasses where we are as a church in those seasons. And so it's just been really, really good. And so we kind of said that we were doing a relationship series in February. We kind of do family or relationship oftentimes in February. Surrounded by Valentine's Day, you kind of got love on the mind anyway. You're trying to be a better husband, better wife, better person in February oftentimes. It's still close enough to the beginning of the year that you haven't given up on all of your New Year's resolutions yet. And so, you know, we try to oftentimes do that. And so we set this. And several months ago, I knew that I was speaking today, and so I knew that Pastor Jamie and I would meet as we got closer to really kind of dig into what each week would look like. So about a month ago, early January, we sat down, and we kind of started talking through, you know, he told me, okay, week one, I'm doing this, and this is what we're going to talk about. And week two, I'm going to do this, and I'm really talking specifically about marriage that day, and that kind of stuff. And then I'm expecting, because most times what happens when we do a series is he'll say, you know, and then week three or week two or whatever week I'm doing, he'll say, you know, and we're going to look at this story, or I want you to teach on this scripture. And I love that because it just kind of gives me that roadmap of he gives me like, you're going to talk on this topic and go for it. And I love it. I appreciate it because it just gives me that roadmap to just say, okay, this is what I'm talking on. Got it. I'll go build the content around that. But this time it didn't work that way. In a couple months or a month ago, we're sitting there and he said, and then week three, it's in the relationship series, but you talk about whatever you want to talk about. And I went, oh no, this could be really, really dangerous because there's no telling what I'm going to want to talk about. And so I kind of prayed through like, God, what would you have me to say? And a lot of times I kind of build content around things that like I want to be better at. And so that as I'm studying, like I can become a better man of God, a better husband, a better person. And so I really wanted to spend some time with you today talking about the idea of communication. And in every relationship that we have, whether it's your marriage, whether it's with your kids, whether it's with your parents, a coworker, a boss, an employee, you know, the person in traffic next to you, the person at the new Chick-fil-A that's taking your order when it opens in three days at the bottom of the hill. I'm still not sure what they're going to do with traffic in that intersection, but we'll figure it out because it's Chick-fil-A. And so like everywhere you go, I got an amen. I don't know what they're going to do, but it's going to be awesome that it's that close. It's walking distance from here, but I've already said like I'm not actually going to walk. It's just good to say that I have a Chick-fil-A within walking distance. I'll still drive down there, but anyway, that's a whole different topic I can get on. And so everywhere we go, in every relationship we have, we have to have communication. Every single day of your life, in one way, shape, or form, whether email, text, social media, phone conversation, in person, whatever, every single day you communicate. And so how do we communicate? How do we get better at communicating? How do we actually get better at this idea of being the person that we want to be in the relationships in the person that God created us to be, in the relationships that we have. And so today, I want to look at a roadmap for us found in James chapter 1, verse 19. There's kind of three components of this verse that we're going to walk through together, and then we're going to read that verse together at the very end. But that's going to kind of set our stage today, James chapter 1, verse 19. And so there's going to be three steps to being better at communicating that we're going to look at today. And the first of those steps, found in James chapter 1, 19 is that you must be quick to listen. 
You must be quick to listen. The first step to being a better communicator is you actually must be better at not opening your mouth, but actually just listening. Notice how the book of Proverbs begins. Proverbs is written by Solomon, who is David's son. He was known as the wisest man that ever lived. And look how he started the book of Proverbs. He said, these are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline to help them understand the insight of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple knowledge and the discernment to the young. Verse 5 says, let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. Let those who understand who with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning of these proverbs and parables. The words of the wise and their riddles. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. And then here's really kind of the very first proverb that's in the book of Proverbs that he writes. He says, my children, listen when your father corrects you. And I got an amen from every parent. Don't neglect your mother's instructions. One of the very first things that the book of Proverbs says, written by the wisest man that ever lives, in the first eight verses, it tells us to listen twice. Listening is so important. There's a story found in the Old Testament about a boy named Samuel. And Samuel, his mother, was dealing with infertility for a long time. And she prayed finally and said, God, like, if you would just give me a son, I promise I will give him back to you for him to serve you for the entirety of his life. And so God gave her this son, and she did as she had promised. And when he became of age, she took Samuel to Eli, and she told Eli, who was living at the tabernacle, running the tabernacle, the priest at that time. And she said, Eli, like, here is my son Samuel. He's going to live with you. He's going to serve you, and he's going to serve the people. And so Samuel is now living there with Eli, and one night happens, and he's abed, in bed asleep, and Eli's in his room, and he's asleep, and Samuel hears this voice calling him, and it says, Samuel, Samuel. So he gets up, and he goes, assuming Eli's called him, and he goes into Eli's room, and he says, Eli, you called me. What do you need? And he says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. So he goes back, lays back down, hears it again, Eli, or Samuel, Samuel. So he gets up. Goes to Eli's room, wakes Eli up again. Eli's like, boy, you're crazy. Go back to bed. I'm not calling you. Goes back to bed, lays down. Here's it one more time. Samuel, Samuel. He gets up and like, Eli's losing his mind. He keeps calling me. And then he's forgetting he's calling me. Goes into Eli's room. Eli, you called me. What do you need? I didn't call you. Leave me alone. Go back to bed. And then Eli has this moment and he goes, oh, I know what this is. And look at what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. So he said to Samuel, this is Eli speaking, go and lie down again. And if someone calls you again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed, and the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, speak, your servant is listening. Now I'm going to talk about the earthly relationships in a minute, but right here, this just kind of, just kind of pricked my heart for something. And as I read this and as I've studied this, and I've heard this story before, you know, one of the things that just kind of jumps out to me, before we get into listening to our relationships earthly, there is so much value in listening for the voice of God in our lives. Now, I have never heard the audible voice of God. If it happens, it's going to freak me out a little bit. Not a little bit, it's going to freak me out a lot of it. But I have this still small voice that speaks into my spirit sometimes. 
The Holy Spirit just kind of pricking my heart for something. Or maybe God's using someone to speak breath and breathe life into me. And here's my biggest problem with my relationship with God. It's not the amount of times that I talk to him. Because I feel like I talk to God on a pretty regular basis. Oftentimes that looks like complaining, if we can be honest. Like, I'm just like, God, I need this done. I need you to do this. And God, I'd love for you to work this miracle in my life. And God, like, you know that we need this in our marriage. And we need this in our family. And this at the church. And like, like I'm pretty good at letting God know what I need him to do. But one of the things I'm bad at, I'm terrible at it. I'm really bad sometimes at just shutting my mouth and just saying, God, speak. Your servant is listening. We're so good at just, God, I need this and do this in my life. And, but how often do you just turn all distractions off, put everything away, be in silence, and just say, God, speak. Your servant is listening value of your relationship with God, and it is a relationship. He wants you to talk to him. He wants you to dream. He wants to know what scares you. He wants to know what excites you. Like, talk to God. But God also wants to talk to you. It's a two-way street. He wants you to listen as we must. Now for our relationship with others. When was the last time you turned off every single distraction and just listened to your spouse? I don't mean like driving down the road and you got the radio on and so you're kind of listening to the sports talk radio guy, but you're also kind of listening to your spouse. I don't mean like you're sitting there on your phone scrolling through social media and you're listening, but you're really reading like Twitter or Instagram or whatever. I don't mean like you're watching TV and eating dinner and listening to their day. I mean like every distraction. You don't have your phone on your person because what I've realized about myself is even if I have my phone in my pocket, I don't have my phone in my pocket right now. I leave it back there when I'm on stage. Is when I have my phone in my pocket, one of the things that I'm always kind of thinking in the back of my head is, is did I just feel that vibration? Like is someone trying to get, and so like when you're having a conversation with your spouse, put your phone in another room. Don't have it on you. Turn the TV off. Turn the radio off and drive in silence. Sit at the kitchen table and not at the, not at the couch and eat dinner and just have a conversation and listen. And really listen. Don't fake listen. Don't man listen. Really listen. Really, really listen to the words that they're saying. Don't use it as a platform. Don't use it as an opportunity to just sit there. And just let them know all the stuff that's going on. And let them know all the things that you're frustrated about. Just ask them, how are you? How's your soul? What can I work on to be a better wife or a better husband in our marriage? When was the last time you turned off every distraction and just listened to your spouse? Parents, when was the last time you sat one-on-one with just one of your kids and listened to their heart? Just one-on-one, you and them, you put every distraction aside, and you just ask them, what are your dreams? What excites you? They may be seven, and they want to be a fireman, and they're like, in the back of your head, you know, like, you're not going to be a fireman someday, but you're like, baby, that's amazing. Like, you be whatever you want. But when was the last time you sat one-on-one with one of your children and just listened to their heart? And you didn't try to parent them and tell them, like, you got to do better at your homework, and you got to work harder, and this is why I need you to clean your room, and this is why, like, we get frustrated at you and you take out the things, don't take out the trash. Like, leave all that for the car ride home or something. 
But when was the last time you sat one-on-one with one of your children and just asked them, what, what do you dream about? What are some of the things in your life that like make you the happiest? When was the last time you just sat with one of your kids and listened to their heart? Bosses, when was the last time you sat in a staff meeting and actually listened to the ideas at the table and didn't just railroad everyone else because you're the boss and your idea always wins? When was the last time you listened to the people that you've hired? Employees, let me flip it on you a little bit. When was the last time you listened to your boss without rolling your eyes thinking you're smarter than they are? When was the last time you called your grown kids Not to complain about them not coming to see you as much as you'd want to, but rather just listen to them. And listen to their day and listen to the stressors that they have in their life, in their situations, with their kids or with their jobs or with their spouses or with their friends or with their church. When was the last time you just called and said, hey, how are you? How's your heart? How are you mentally? What are you dreaming about these days? What excites you these days? If you really want to see change in your relationships, if you really want to be a better boss, a better friend, a better coworker, a better parent, or a better spouse, you must be quick to listen. First thing you got to do in order to be a better communicator is you must be a better listener. The second step to being a better communicator, is you must be slow to speak. In order to be a better communicator, you must be slow to speak. Look at how it's worded in James chapter 3. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Probably my least favorite scripture in all of the Bible. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by the means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn whenever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes many grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all of the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire. For if it is set on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessings and cursings come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spirit or a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine vine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. The tongue is so powerful. Your words have the ability to build up or cut down. There's an old proverb that I've heard for probably my entire life. That says, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words may never hurt me. You may have heard this from a parent. You may have heard this from a teacher. You may have heard this on the school playground as a kid. But you've probably at one time or another heard, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. When I was a kid, I broke several bones at several different times of my adolescence. 
And every time I did, I don't know if it was true or if there was just collusion among all doctors everywhere to say the same thing, to just make kids feel better in these moments. But every time I broke a bone and I got to the point where they were setting into my wrist or my hand or wherever it was, and they put the cast on and they'd talk me through like, you know, in five weeks or six weeks or a month or whatever, when you come back to get the cast off and after you rehabilitate it and after everything's back to good, one of the things that you'll know and what wants you to know is that that break in that bone is now going to be the strongest part of that entire bone. Once it heals back together, now it's the strongest part of the bone. Now, if that's wrong, and you're a doctor and you know that those doctors lied to me, don't tell me after service. Like, let me just continue to believe that I've got a part right there that's the strongest bone in my entire body because I broke it. And so don't tell me. But I was always told that once it heals, it's going to be stronger than it was before it broke. And that's not the way it works with words. You see, the sticks and the stones, they will break bones, and we break bones, and we get hurt. And we go through rehab, and we wear casts, and sometimes you have to do surgeries, and then eventually that bone heals. And in my mind, at least, based on what the doctors have told me, that that bone is now stronger because of that. It went through that. It, it, it grew through that. But what never happens is when we use hurtful words, they do hurt. They continue to hurt. And they may always hurt. See, what happens with us when we have hurtful words used against us is sometimes we don't get stronger, but sometimes we get harder. We put on this kind of external shell, almost like a turtle, that just kind of protects us from those hurtful things. But the reality is, is we're still tender, and they still do hurt. And for you and for I, one of the things that we've got to watch is, is we've got to watch our tongue. We say hurtful things. We say hateful things. We come home from work and we've had a stressful day at the office and our kids do something and rather than just like getting rid of the stress somewhere else, we just kind of blow up. You know, in our lives, we have to watch our words. When you talk to your spouse, remember that your words have a lasting impact. They don't forget the nasty things that you've said to them or that you've called them. Your kids... The times you've lost your cool and you've called them dumb or you've yelled at them just because you've had a bad day at work, it affects them. The words that you speak have the option to either breathe life or to breathe death into the person that you're talking to. To build them up or to absolutely cut them off at the knees. Your words matter. Your words matter a lot. I've heard it said oftentimes that God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. We should do twice as much listening as we do talking. And the things that we say, once they're out there, in today's world more so than ever, with social media and cameras everywhere and everything, your words, once they're out there, they're out there. And whether they're out there on a video or on social media or in a text message or they're out there in someone else's mind, they're out there. And so the things that you say... They matter. And what if instead of just as soon as we think something, we just spit it out? What if we were slow to speak? And we thought about what we wanted to say before we said it. And we thought about it. And we asked ourselves the question, if I say this, will it hurt someone? If you really want to see change in your relationships, if you really want to be a better boss, a better friend, a better coworker, a better parent, or a better spouse, you must be slow 
to speak. The third and the final aspect to being a better communicator, first was we must be quick to listen. Second was we must be slow to speak. And the third is you must be slow to get angry. Notice here how it says, and I'm so thankful that it does. It says slow to anger, and it doesn't say don't get angry. Now, here's something I want you to know. I'm going to tell myself for a couple of minutes. One of the things that's true about me is, if you didn't know this, I'm going to shock you a little bit maybe, but I can have a temper at times. I can. I get an amen from my boss. He knows it's true. I can have a temper from times. I can get upset. I can get frustrated. And so I've always kind of thought to myself, like, there must be something wrong with me if I have these anger problems. Like, why do I get angry when situations happen? So as a staff, probably close to about a year ago or so now, maybe even longer than that, we started studying the Enneagram. Enneagram is a personality test. There's a lot of different personality tests out there. We just like this one. And so we all did the Enneagram. We all took it. And there's one through nine, and every person is one of those, falls into one of those nine categories. It's not like one's better or nine's worse or nine's better and one's worse. You're just one of those nine numbers. And so we took this test, and everybody on staff took it. And when I took it, it came back that I was an Enneagram type eight. I didn't know what that meant. And so we started reading through it and started studying it. And ultimately, what we've all come to decide, not all of us actually, it's just me, is that the Enneagram eight's the best number to be. And so it's not true. They're all, they're all good. You just are who you are. I just don't see anything wrong with the eight. Like everyone else, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. And so we all have these personality types. And so what I've started learning about the Enneagram type eight is that the eight's deadly sin, they call it the deadly sin, what of the, the weakness of every number, every number has its own weakness. And so the eight's deadly sin, the eight's weakness is anger. And so I started studying this, and I started learning about this, and I started realizing that I'm not alone in this, that God created me to be this way, and that when I have moments of stress or anything like that, that my go-to because of who I am and who I'm wired to be is anger. But listen to what it says about an Enneagram type 8. When 8s feel anger building up in them, they immediately respond to it in some physical way by either raising their voice or moving more forcefully. Others can clearly see that eights are angry because they give themselves permission to express their anger physically. And I got an amen from every one of my family members and everyone on the staff. When I have anger, I express anger. And so when I read a story or I read a verse of scripture that tells me to be slow to anger, I'm like, how in the world do you be slow to anger? Like, I've never been sitting in traffic, and I know you haven't either because I've driven the same roads you have, and you get cut off by someone in traffic, and then you just wait eight blocks before you're ticked off about it. That doesn't happen, right? Like, you get cut off in traffic. You want the instant gratification of blowing the horn or getting back around in front of them or giving some type of hand gesture, right? And like, as soon as one of those three things happen, you're good. Like, you won the car battle, right? But we want the instant gratification when it comes to anger. And so it tells us be slow to anger. And you're like, how in the world am I supposed to be slow to get angry? If we use the traffic analogy, like you're never driving in traffic. And you just wait to get ticked off by getting cut off. And so if we're supposed to be slow to anger, how do we actually go about doing that? What if in your head... Every time you are going to get ticked off, you ask yourself the question, 
Is this worth getting mad about? Is this worth getting mad about? I would probably say nine times out of ten, the answer is probably no. It's probably not getting worth you getting all ticked off about and then probably going back to being quick to talk and not slow to talk. So you're going to say something that you shouldn't say. Your kids come in, you've had a bad day, and they set their stuff down and kick the shoes off and don't put anything away, and you just blow up. Like, if you really think about it, like, no, I probably shouldn't respond that way. But it's a slow to anger. I am so thankful that it does give me the ability to be angry, though. Like, there are moments of our lives that anger is an okay reaction to injustice. Like, it's okay that it angers you of the injustice that takes place in our world. There's a story found in the New Testament where Jesus went into the temple and there were people doing things there that ticked him off and he went in. It'd be like you coming into church and seeing something and Jesus went in and just started flipping tables over. Like you've probably seen the picture or some of you probably have it hanging in your house of Jesus sitting in a chair and all the little children kind of sitting around his feet. And it's such a pretty picture and peaceful Jesus and everything like that. Like the picture I want hanging of Jesus is like people looking terrified, Jesus with rage on his face and like tables in the air. Like I want that picture. Like that's my Jesus. Like there is a moment that it's okay to have this righteous anger. But how do we control it? How do we let our anger only come out in the appropriate moments, not the inappropriate moments? We're supposed to be slow to anger. I think we've got to be able or willing to take a step back, maybe take a couple deep breaths, maybe go on a walk. Maybe you go today and buy a punching bag on Amazon. Like, you got to have something that gets that stress out, right? But what if you thought in your head every single time before you reacted, is this worth me getting angry about? I would say nine times out of ten, it's probably not. What would look different in your life if you were slow to get angry? What relationships would benefit who in your life would benefit if you were slow to get angry? If you really want to see change in your relationships, if you really want to be a better boss, a better friend, a better coworker, a better parent, or a better spouse, you must be slow to anger. James chapter 1, verse 19. They're going to put it up on the screen. It says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. For every single one of us in every single day of our lives, we must communicate with others. It's a part of human reality. It's communication. And for you and for me... My prayer for all of us, my prayer for you is that you would be the greatest listener ever. Listen and really listen. My prayer for you is that you would be slow to speak. Think about it before you say it. Really think about the ramifications of the words that you're wanting to say to the person that you're going to say. Are they going to build them up or are they going to tear them down? 
and really think, and my prayer for you, is that you would be really, 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 really slow to anger. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Ask that yourself. Ask yourself that question. Is it worth it to get angry? Is it worth it to get upset about this? With every head bowed and every eye closed, first and foremost, if you're sitting in the room today and you would say, you know, before I feel that I can even work on my relationship in this world, I need to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're in the room today and you say, I I need him to be the Lord and Savior of my life, I admit that I am a sinner in need of a Savior, and I need to establish that relationship before I can fix any other relationships. If that's you today, I just want you to lift your hand, and you can put it right back down. Thank you so much. The next thing is, is if you're in the room today and you would say, yeah, I need to work on my communication. Maybe you're here today and you say, I need to be a better listener. I enter into most conversations making it about me and my agenda and what I want to say, and I don't really listen that well. Or maybe you're in the room today and you say, I am way too quick to talk. Like, I just spew it out. I don't, I don't think about what I'm going to say. And sometimes I say inappropriate things, or sometimes I say hurtful things. And so maybe today you just need to say, like, God, I need to think before I miss, and I need to be slow to speak. Or maybe you're here today and you are quick to anger. you got a temper. You just snap for no apparent reason for unimportant things to get angry about. And so today you just say, like, I've got to be slow to anger. I can't have the temper that I've had. I can't keep doing that to people that I love. So if any of those are you, you say, God, I I want to today be a better communicator. And it starts with those three. If you want to, you can just lift your hand. You can put it right back down. Tons of hands. God, we love you. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you first and foremost that you want a relationship with us. God, let us sit and say, God, speak. Your servant is listening. God, for anybody in the room that says today, I need to admit that I am a sinner in need of a Savior and that they need you to come and be the Lord and Savior of their lives. God, let them just confess that to you today, God. And God, for everybody that says, I need to be a better communicator, God, whether that's they need to listen better or slow to speak or slow to anger, God, help us all to be the best communicators that we can be. Let us listen. Let us not say hurtful things. Let us be slow to anger. God, we love you and we thank you. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.